This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. So uh, we've got some new unemployment numbers that came in at the end of last week showing that the unemployment rate in the U.S. has uh, ticked over 4%, almost at 4.5%. Of course, it's way, way higher. This official count lags behind the actual unemployment in the country. We had the former chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen, on TV, on CNBC, on Monday morning giving an interview saying that the unemployment rate in the country is likely... Somewhere between 12 and 13 percent, which I believe is higher than it was at any time during the Great Recession. And it's likely on its way. And she didn't say this, but if you look at the numbers, unemployment numbers and projections, uh, this could get as high as 30 percent. Congress trying to figure out how to deal with this. There's early talks about what a fourth coronavirus relief bill or stimulus bill might look like. And we've got Democrats proposing stuff like tax cuts for homeowners and Republicans throwing stuff out like capital gains tax cuts. This is just going to get worse. It's incredible. And I recall seeing a projection from somewhere. I don't recall exactly where. I mean, there's just been so many statistics thrown at us over the past few weeks, but one of the more sobering stat is or, or forecast was someone saying that unemployment by the end of next year would still be nine percent. It it it's just going to last so long. And how many times can you cut taxes for the rich? Uh, we'll see. We're going to find out. Yes, we will. All right, it's Monday, April sixth, twenty twenty. Here's the news. The Department of Labor published coronavirus sick leave rules today in the Federal Register. The framework came from the sick leave bill signed into law by President Trump on March 18th. Per the agency filings, small business tyrants will face no repercussions whatsoever for violating the law. This is no huge surprise. The bill was piecemeal as hell to begin with, only dealing with companies with fewer than 500 employees granting hardship carve-outs to companies with fewer than 50 employees. The New York Times noted it only applied overall to 20% of the workforce. But not only can the smallest businesses apply for hardship exemptions, they have full immunity from lawsuits. Per today's filings, workers aren't allowed to sue small businesses subject to last March's law if the firms aren't subject to the Family and Medical Leave Act of 1993. Reading an excerpt from the DOL filings, quote, in other words, an employee can only bring an action against an employer under the March sick leave law if the employer has had 50 or more employees for each working day during each of 20 or more calendar work weeks in the current or preceding calendar year. Sad part is workers who are allowed to take legal action, well, they aren't entitled to sue for a whole lot, lost wages and attorney fees. But for some reason, you aren't entitled to it if you come down with coronavirus and you're called into the quirky local bookstore to fill online orders. It wouldn't be very Jeffersonian of us if we denied mom and pop the chance to kill people, just like Jeff Bezos. The agency admitted that this loophole for petty tyranny is incredibly massive. 
There are about 6 million companies in the U.S. with 500 or fewer employees. Almost 5.8 million of those have fewer than 50 employees, some 96% of all firms with fewer than 500 workers on the payroll. For the record, the coronavirus stimulus bill contains about $350 billion in emergency loans for small businesses. I forgot to mention off the top my favorite proposal coming out of this relief package number four is blanket immunity for businesses from getting sued by workers who get coronavirus on the job. Incredible. That, uh, great. Just Moving on, an inspector general report from the Department of Health and Human Services confirms the reports we've seen in the media that the U.S. healthcare system is buckling under the weight of the COVID pandemic. The inspector general found that hospitals are forced to rely on, quote, new, sometimes unvetted, and non-traditional sources of supplies and medical equipment to meet the demands of healthcare workers treating patients. And even that's not enough, as hospitals are also conserving and reusing what are supposed to be single-use pieces of personal protective equipment. They're also relying on non-medical grade protective equipment as well. Facilities are also reporting the need to rapidly convert and train previously untrained medical staff like anesthesiologists and hospitalists to treat patients on ventilators. The study was compiled by conducting telephone interviews with administrators from 323 hospitals across 46 states plus Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico. The interviews were conducted at the end of last month between March 23rd and 27th when the U.S. was much, much lower on its infection curve than it is now. Now, more than 350,000 people in the country have been infected by the virus, and more than 10,000 people have died. Hospital administrators reported dwindling cash reserves as elective operations, usually reliable money makers, have ceased, and resources are now being put toward investing for future demands from coronavirus patients. They also placed a lot of blame for the mess on the ground on federal and state authorities, The IG report noted that hospitals are struggling to acquire enough tests and that the tests they have are taking too long to produce results, forcing patients to stay in the hospital for as long as two weeks. Also cited, quote, changing and inconsistent guidelines from the federal government. It also appears that price gouging is rampant as administrators reported a, quote, sharp increase in prices for personal protective equipment from some vendors. An update on a Supreme Court case we followed last year. The outcome feared by civil liberties advocates has come to pass. Justices ruled 8-1 to one in favor of the state in the case Kansas v. Glover. The case involved a traffic stop. A deputy sheriff in Kansas pulled over a motorist after scanning his license plate and finding out the vehicle was registered to someone whose license had been revoked. The motorist, Charles Glover Jr., was charged with driving as a habitual violator. At trial, Glover moved to suppress evidence gathered at the stop, saying the officer, Deputy Mark Mayer, had no reasonable suspicion to make the stop in the first place, that it was unconstitutional for the officer to take action based solely on the assumption that the driver would also be the guy with the suspended license who registered the vehicle. As you might have guessed, based on how this segment started, the overwhelming majority disagreed. The opinion syllabus said Deputy Mayor was making, quote, a common sense inference that the owner of a vehicle was likely the vehicle's driver, 
Also, quote, empirical studies demonstrate that drivers with suspended or revoked licenses frequently continue to drive. Presumably, some listeners of this show are uncomfortable with the thought of cops being able to detain people based on, quote, common sense inferences and empirical studies. The lone dissenting justice shared this discomfort, and surprisingly, it was not the notorious RBG, but Sonia Sotomayor of the majority. Sotomayor said, quote, its use of statistics illustrates the danger of relying on large-scale data to carry out what is supposed to be a particularized exercise. Neither of the referenced reports tell us the percentage of vehicle owners with revoked licenses in Kansas who continue to drive their cars. Of the common sense aspect of the ruling, Sotomayor said the following, quote, simply labeling an inference common sense does not make it so, no matter how many times the majority repeats it. Finally, just before walking in to record the pod for today, the governor of Wisconsin, Tony Evers, announced he was suspending tomorrow's primary in response to public safety concerns. This is a bit of surprise good news because it looked all the way up until this moment like the state was going to push ahead with voting during a pandemic, no matter how many lives it cost, like we saw a few weeks ago in Florida and Illinois and Arizona. Earlier, I chatted with a Wisconsinite and a guy who plays a big role behind the scenes helping us out here at District Sentinel. You can even call him a shadow producer, Matt Sostock, about what the hell was happening over there in the Badger State. In Milwaukee alone, we've got five polling stations uh, when we normally have 180. The state is missing over 7,000 poll workers. 111 polling stations have zero. 125 don't have enough to open. I'm sorry, districts, not polling stations in the, in the state. And these five polling stations in Milwaukee are amongst 1,270 plus confirmed cases already. And we're expecting 50,000 plus voters in Milwaukee. So the other day when Joe Biden says, you know, 10,000 people in an arena is different than voting, he's right. It's actually worse to vote because we're expecting 10,000 people in a school. Um, anyways, so like you said, Governor Evers stepped up. Um, you, we were never expecting anything from the Republicans, especially since they gaveled out for the year at the end of March. They're not in session for the rest of the year, and they have not come back since then. Uh, Governor Evers tried twice to hold special sessions, and they showed up. They gaveled in and gaveled out in within 10 seconds, doing nothing. So that includes any relief bills for Wisconsin on getting anything done on our side that has not been done yet. And the Republicans have only found the time to write letters to Evers to try to close abortion clinics, in which part they are claiming that, you know, it's a health emergency and we have to preserve these masks. They've also written to try to open golf courses. They're finding time to write all these letters to the governor to do other things and not come into the to the uh, to gavel in and try to postpone the election. So they've kind of gone back and forth and said, oh, the governor was flip flopping. The governor was flip flopping. And he did. To be honest, from my perspective, it looks like um, he's taken orders from the DNC where he was he didn't say anything for weeks and weeks. Um, it was not till March 27th when he finally tried to go to all mail and vote. And obviously that's 10 days after Illinois, Arizona and Florida had their primaries and when we had plenty of time to see the numbers spike. So uh, in addition to Governor Evers being silent, the state Democratic Party was silent. The National Democratic Party was silent. It wasn't until Friday afternoon when you started to see calls to delay the election. 
And we've had, for weeks, state health um, advisors and professionals have been calling in to postpone the vote. Um, the Two of the Wisconsin election commissioners, which are elected positions here, have called to postpone the vote. Charlie Sykes, a huge conservative uh, radio voice in Wisconsin, has called to postpone the vote. And um, when it comes down to it, the Republicans really just think this is a hoax. You see them retweeting things about death counts being elevated or nurses saying hospitals are empty. And if you drive into the rural conservative parts into the state, Walmarts are packed, Home Depots are packed, state parks are packed. They don't believe it's real. So uh, it's it's a really great thing that Governor Evers finally stepped up to do something. So I'm guessing that a challenge might come, but uh, if it does, it'll be long after tomorrow, tomorrow's elections um, that aren't taking place. So we can, I guess, confirm right now that there will be no voting in person tomorrow in Wisconsin. I would love to say that. Um, unfortunately, the Wisconsin journalists that I'm following are expecting uh, an appeal to the state Supreme Court today. Um, wow. And, yeah, exactly. So from who? From the assembly? Yeah, so we've got uh, Speaker Speaker of the Assembly, Robin Voss, and the state Senate leader, Scott Fitzgerald, said they are immediately appealing to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. I'm reading right now from Scott Bauer of the AP, the clerks of the state should stand ready to proceed with the election, they said. Uh. So the Wisconsin Supreme Court is a uh, five to two conservative majority. So you would expect that to, you know, for them to allow the election to proceed. I don't know if that means, you know, Governor Evers then goes to the U.S. Supreme Court, but they've failed to respond to a Republican appeal to a different order that Governor Evers did the other day. So, I mean, long story short, it is a giant clusterfuck. Um, people that requested absentees haven't received them, and people that did request them had differing orders on what was the regulation, and they want people to mail them back in and back and forth to replace their original. I mean, it's, it's insane. There's no way from a voter standpoint that it's legitimate or from a health standpoint it's legitimate so yeah it's kind of just we're gonna have to sit and wait and hope that somebody says you know what people dying is not worth it matt uh, do you want to plug your uh, twitter handles that people can follow for updates on this uh yeah into tomorrow to. yeah it's uh it's at m sostock s-o-s-t-o-c-k or miss ostock however you want to pronounce that um <laughs> You can find me at Matt's Hostack. It's real simple, and, and they have got a lot of stuff going on. You can help us call the governor and the state uh, health department if we need to keep doing that. So I appreciate you uh, having me on to keep you updated. Uh, of course, and we appreciate the uh, work you do behind the scenes at the Sentinel, our shadow producer, Matt Sostock. You can call me Intern Matt if you'd like. No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> we, we only have one intern, Nate. Uh, you... Uh, were promoted immediately upon jumping oh, on. Um, you were promoted past Nate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thanks, Matt. Yeah, thank you, Sam. Thanks again to Matt, and that music means it's time for the poetry portion of the show where we read haiku for all our new subscribers at patreon.com slash district sentinel, five bucks a month. You get your own poem, plus you get access to all the bonus content, plus you get the good feeling of helping our little news co-op here in Pistown. One haiku to read today, this goes out to Jake. America strong. Wow, this is the moment we kicked the COVID's ass. Thank you, Jake. Yes, thank you, 
Jake. And thanks to all the new subscribers. That's patreon.com slash district sentinel. We've also got a rant line. Call it 202-684-6108. Tell us stories about self-isolation and quarantining. We want to hear them. I got one for you. What do you got? Uh, not, not much. I just cracked the beer. <laughs> Good to hear. Sam, we'll do this again tomorrow. Yeah, we will. We will. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be. 